Won't you join me as we gather before the Lord in prayer? Father, it's such a privilege to be able to come into your presence. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege, Lord, to to know you and to be able to experience you and to be able to just personally say to you, thank you for all that you do, for the way that you provide for us, especially in how you provided your son, our savior, for our eternity. We thank you, Lord, that your blessings are true and abundant, full of mercy and everlasting. You continue to rain upon us your goodness in our homes and in our church. We thank you, Lord, that you, you spread yourself so mightily and so freely upon us and within our midst that we can only say that we have been blessed. And we thank you, Lord, for truly you are our God and our Father. And we continue to look forward, Lord, to the way that you will express your loving care towards us as we express the faith that we have within you. And we pray as Pastor Tom is preparing to open your word before us, we pray, Lord, that you would touch his words so that we might be drawn closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, afternoon, I guess. For those of you who may be visiting, um, I'm the associate pastor, one of the associates here, uh, Tom Hayes, and I are, am our church life pastor. And I just um, love the Christmas season, don't you? Um, as I think about the Christmas season, I, I, I think back of, this is sad to say, I, I love television shows, especially the old cartoon classics of Christmas. How many of you know the, the Charlie Brown one? Come on, you can raise your hands. You can all see Linus, you can all see him on stage when Charlie Brown is so frustrated with how Christmas is and the commercialism and everything and he throws his little blanket around his head and he gives the Christmas story there with the spotlight on him. And that just, that's just Christmas, that was fun for me as a kid to see that and very exciting to really know the true meaning of Christmas. And I wanted us to start our study, uh, Shepherds to Lead, by reading that story together. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Luke, the second chapter. We're going to start in verse uh, 4, actually, in this uh, reading, and go through 15. So I'd like for you to follow with me. And again, I just, uh, you've heard it many times, I'm sure, but man, it's just great to read together. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him, them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were greatly afraid. Look at this picture. Oh, can you back up Amy K. one time? Ah. Can you imagine that as a light show? 
I mean, you know, they're out there with the stars every night. But just imagine the shock value, the attention-getting aspects of this for these shepherds as the angels approached. And in fact, it says in verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Not your everyday occurrence. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was that, there was the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I love that story. Continue on with, with verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Pretty excited. Well, I will tell you, growing up, I had heard of these shepherds, Christmas story. They don't get much pub through the rest of the thing. You know, they do get to go and visit. You don't hear much. We hear about the gifts that the Magi bring and, and the little drummer boy. We've got different things. But the shepherds, a lot of times, aren't the big front people. And I, I was raised in Charleston, West Virginia, right outside of Charleston, West Virginia. It's a rural area. And I'd heard of these shepherds before, but I didn't really know any shepherds. We didn't have shepherds on Tick Ridge. And that's where I lived, a little road out there outside of Charleston. And it was up on a ridge, obviously, with the name and ticks. Well, yeah, well, anyway, you can, it's not psychological reasons. I try to clear that up. But anyway, we had Tick Ridge, and, and we had nothing there. We had domesticated animals. I remember um, uh, Pete and Kate. Now, Pete and Kate were the mules that Mr. Lively owned just down below us, and he would use those to plow and mow and everything with Pete and Kate. We liked Pete and Kate. We, of course, had our own donkey for some time. His name was Blue Jay. And uh, he was quite interesting. We never had cows, but some people even had cows in some of the small pasture areas of those fields of West Virginia, small fields. And my dad even told the story. You see, when you came from Mudsuck, which was a little area down between us and Spring Hill, and you came up Fox Hill, there was a road that came around the mountain, one of the mountain peaks there that came around a tick ridge. And on a, a day like today with no leaves on the trees, you could look at our house, from our house to that old shed over on that far hill, probably a half mile away, as the bird would fly. It would take a little while to get there. But that's where my dad was raised. And he tells the story. He says, yeah, we had, we had cows. I said, he said, we had one cow. And uh, she gave us milk. He said, we had to take care of her, you know, because that was our livestock was that one cow. He says, and I can remember, he says, on the really, really cold nights when we were afraid for her well-being, we didn't have a barn, so we'd bring her into the house. Well, you know, that, I just, he'd tell that story, and just the, all the janitorial aspects of that just hit me really hard. How do you clean? Well, okay. But anyway, that's just what we did. Not, not many cows out there, not huge pastures and everything. And we definitely had no sheep. Well, you know, firsthand, I always wanted to see a shepherd in action. I've seen it on television. And it's not on my bucket list. It was actually on the bucket list of, of Rick and Kim Patton, their church members. They were here this morning. When he heard the first sermon, I didn't use this illustration, but he came up and he goes, Man, tell you what we did on our bucket list was to be a shepherd. And I thought, boy, you guys got to get out more. You know, really? 
But anyway, what an exciting thing. So they went to Ireland two summers ago, and he told the story, and I'll share some of it as we go, with actually being shepherds on a shepherd farm, sheep farm. It was pretty exciting. I've always wanted to do that, you know. And so I just wanted to share some stories here, just some thoughts, um, and some history, and maybe a little education on what a shepherd's all about. Now, I will tell you, Glenda and I visited with some family members we have out in Utah a couple years ago, and they're near Salt Lake City. And so we visited there, of course, did the tour of the, the city of Salt Lake, and, and we went out to Park City, and, and then we were able to head up through the mountains to take the mountain pass out towards Sundance uh, area, uh, another beautiful place up there. So we were driving up through these areas, and it was so nice. And as we would drive along, I would occasionally notice a small camping trailer sitting in a remote area. I have a picture of one. This is not, I didn't take this picture. But this is what I saw. There was just a, tr a camper, as you'd call it, sitting out there in the middle of a remote area. No hookups, no electricity, no water. Uh, you know. And when I asked about that, they just said, oh, that's the home of the shepherds. And with the shepherd, of course, the aspect of going up there, the flocks had to be kept in those locations for feeding for several days. And then he'd pick up his gear and home and move to another area. The flocks would have to be kept there uh, and then moved. And so give them ability to graze in the new pastures that they would need for food. That was interesting to me. Didn't see the sheep or the shepherds. They were off doing that, I guess. And in Bible times, the herds also had to be moved from new food sources to new food sources. They couldn't just stay in one location. And so with that, I found it interesting. Uh, the next slide, Amy K, if you would. Um, when this picture came up, oh, not that one, I guess take it to the next one. This would be the sheep. When this one came up, this is when Rick said, oh man, they got those all over in Ireland, because that's where they keep the sheep at night. They'll keep them inside these little corral areas. And if you go back in Bible times, you will actually see some of these were around the cities that had the temple, that had the sacrificial system to keep the livestock there for, you know, what was needed to be done in the sacrificial services. <laughs> So anyway, this is, this, I found it interesting. And, and not only did they have to take care of them in Bible days, sheep, shepherds are still need, needed today to take care of sheep. It's not a trade that got automated. There's no robotics to it. There's still a shepherd. Still needs to have them. So what did his job involve? That was my question when I started really looking at it. And what can we learn from these hardworking folks? The word shepherd itself the word shepherd itself actually means a feeder. That's a t neat name to have in it. The chief care of the shepherd is to see that the sheep get plenty to eat and drink. The flocks are not fed in those pens. They're not fed in the folds. But summer and winter, and, and the, depending on what the foraging aspects of it, they were moved again, not only for food, but for also water. Now they would have to be watered at least once a day. Sheep would have to be watered at least once a day. There were some springs or streams. If there were, that would be easy, wouldn't it? Just say, okay, guys, it's time to drink. Lead them up to the trough, let them drink, take them back to the pasture. But the thing that was interesting about it, sometimes these were hours and hours away from where they were grazing. So the process of moving them to the water source was always a big deal and always had to be planned out. One needs to actually travel to the dry places of Syria and Israel and actually look at these valleys 
and compare them to some of those watered valleys like those in Edom where the flocks were constantly being led for water to actually appreciate David's psalm when he says, what? He leadeth me beside the still waters. It's a big deal to have water, isn't it? We need the water. Sheep would need it. And sometimes the water could be obtained by digging a little shallow well. On the mountaintops, if the snow was melting, it would supply the needed water and streams coming down. All that would be good, but there would be times when they would actually have to either dig the well or draw from the deep wells, depending on the location where the sheep were being kept. Now, after drinking, the animals would lie down to huddle together, maybe try to find some shade under a rock or tree while the shepherd would take a nap. I could fit into that. I could take the nap part. At the first sound of his call, which is, now this is interesting to me, and I don't know a shepherd's call, but they describe it in what I found as a peculiar guttural sound. You know, maybe like Tim the Tool Man that I used to think about on Tool Time where you go, <laughs> I don't know. And would those sheep rally for that? Maybe so. But it was interesting that the shepherd would make that call. Now, this was an interesting thing that Rick was sharing with me about being in Ireland. He says, you know, we had that little pen right there. He says, and, and he says, and I walked out in the middle, 200 sheep, 200 sheep. That's what the guy owned. And he says, I walked out in the very middle of that thing and started talking to him. And it was like it was a fire drill. Everybody trying to get away from the fire. He said, I would try to, come here, little sheep. I don't know what he was saying. But he said, man, he said they would run from him. Actually, literally run. And he said, so he'd you know, hang his head in shame type thing and leave the, the pen. And he says, then the owner would walk in and start talking. And the shepherd would draw them in so fast they just couldn't get close enough to him. It was just like they were just magnetized to him. He said it was amazing to watch that happen. So after these animals would drink and would lay down, and here's what made that interesting for me because, you know, you may have one water source, maybe have two or three herds of, of sheep that different shepherds have brought in. Oh, man, I'd be freaking out if I had to, oh, get that sheep away from my sheep. Get, get over there. Now, Billy, get, get, you know, I try to figure out how to herd them around or whatever, but they would just lay there and wait, and then when the shepherd would get up and make that guttural sound, whatever it was, the sheep would know his voice. And just the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would go with him. Hmm. So it is known that animals, these animals in particular, also, this is what I liked about it. Not only could they not mistake their master's voice, but they would instantly recognize his face if they saw him. They would actually know that and they would be, they have excellent memories for faces. I didn't know that. They remember the handler, and they also remember, now this is the part that gets a little personal as we think about being shepherds here in a minute. They also remember the people who afflict, inflict abuse upon them. So when they see them coming, they run. Now Jesus, describing himself, says this in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Hmm. You know, shepherding may require several days out from home, too. It's not just a, oh, honey, I'm going out to shepherd today. I'll be back about lunch. Okay, take care. I'll see you by five. Okay. Depending on where he had to go, he may not even be around family for, for, for weeks and months, depending on where he had to go. 
And so as much as I like backpacking and thinking about taking care of myself and taking all the gear that I need for surviving out on the road, you know, on the trail, I have to be specific about what I'm taking. Go ahead, Amy Kane, go to the next slide, if you would. Here are four people dressed in biblical attire. Uh, it's probably a no-brainer to say, which one of those do you think really is the shepherd? You could probably pick him out. He's the third one from the left, you know, with the, the one we real always remember, the staff that has the curled top on it. And they do say that that was very handy to reach out and pull in straying sheep back into the fold or to lift them up from crevice if they fell into a hole. They could reach down and, and, and hook that sheep and bring them out. But I thought it was interesting to take a look at what his outfit would be, okay? I wanted to see what he had to carry with him as he goes out to do this job, you know? So the next picture, if we go to this one. This is kind of the attire that the shepherd would take. I hope we, we'll leave it up here long enough for you to try to get a focus of it. Of course, that's him working over to the right. But on the left, you'll see some of the gear. And as we look at it, uh, he, of course, his clothing was simple but hardy, okay? To protect him from rain and cold air, night, night air, he wore, may have worn a mantle made of sheepskin with the fleece turned inward, of course. Against his skin, he wore a tunic. Sandals protected his feet from the sharp rocks and thorns. He wrapped his head in a woven woolen cloth. He would include also what was called a scrip or a leather bag. You can see it hanging there, the brown bag. That contained his food supplies. His food supplies may be bread, olives, dried fruit, cheese. He had a rod. Now this is one we don't usually show. We know about the staff, but the rod is something we don't know much about. It was actually a formidable weapon. It was usually about three feet long and, uh, you know, had a sharp slate embedded in the end of it, like a spear would be, to help protect and defend the sheep. He had a knife. He had a staff, we talked about, which he leaned on while walking and climbing because he had to wait for the sheep to eat. And so he had a personal water container. And you'll see there's a collapsible leather bucket for drawing water from those deep wells because the sheep couldn't reach down in, so he had to pull the water out and put it in a trough or put it up on the ground where they could uh, take the water in. Now, he also had a sling. We all know the story of the sling. Only a boy named David. You know, we can sing that sling went round and round. But you know, it, it wasn't just for a weapon. The sling was actually used to lob rocks in front of wayward sheep. So if a couple sheep were taken off this way, he'd just take a rock and toss it like this and toss it past them. It would startle them. They would turn and run back to the flock in fear. I thought, well, that's handy. I never thought about the sling doing anything but just doing an attack thing against something coming into the, the herd. So along this way, as we look about it, we think about how he also had with him a reed pipe. This is the one we associate either a harp or a reed, uh, reed harp. Let's go, I mean, a reed pipe. The next picture, I think, shows it. And here, this is, this is the tranquil look. This is almost too peaceful. I can imagine shepherds are going, hey, that's not what we do. But I imagine there was times when they had time to play. And when he would play, the sheep would actually know the song or the music and it would actually calm the sheep that there was an issue that caused them to be startled. Well, see, the shepherd faced ongoing challenge of teaching the sheep and goes to obey his commands. Even so, the good shepherds would take care, total care, of those animals in their charge. 
and even give them names to which they would respond. Now, when I talked to Rick, he said that owner over in Ireland had 200 sheep. And he says he knew the name of every sheep. Have you ever looked at a, a herd of sheep? You know, you're looking at a herd of sheep. Hey, Billy, come on, get over there. You're, you're not supposed to be moving. I mean, calling them by name as they're moving around. And they would respond to the voice. That's just amazing to me. But it was a challenge to get them to learn how to respond. Each evening, when the shepherd would gather them together for the night, he would count them and he would check the health of the animals in case something had happened to one during the day, notice for limping or whatever. And then in the morning, he'd wake up, call, and that flock would follow him to the new green pastures. Day in, day out. Well, you know, there was a return for them. The shepherds, of course, that took care of the sheep, Actually, those animals provided the necessity of life for them. Such products as milk and meat for the table, the fleece, the skins were used as a medium of exchange and for clothing and bottles, and the goat's hair was spun into cloth, and both sheep and goats were used for sacrifices. Now, this was an interesting picture to me because Rick said in Ireland they still do the same thing. They use a set of scissors that are razor sharp. And, of course, the guy had him try it. He says, man, you needed to call a first aid truck because he just felt, you know, sharp pointed thing trying to take the wool off the sheep. He said it was quite a task. He said, but yet this man would walk up and with one cut, the whole, the whole hair of the, the whole fleece, the whole thing would fall off of the sheep. He said it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> thing would fall off. That's a shepherd, knowing what to do. You know, sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than 500 times. More than any other animal, sheep are mentioned. The prominence of sheep in the Bible grows out of two realities. Sheep were important to the nomads and agricultural life of the people of Hebrews, of the Hebrew people and the similar country people. And secondly, the sheep were used throughout the Bible to symbolically refer to God's people. Jesus would actually take that persona on and tell many stories. Shepherds are mentioned several times in the Bible, from the first Genesis all the way to Revelation. The very first shepherd that we run into is Abel. He was also humanity's first murder victim. He was slain by his brother Cain because Cain did not like the fact that the sheep was the right way to sacrifice. Abraham and Moses were shepherds. King David was probably the best known shepherd of Bible history. Shepherds are significant in so many ways and as we look at it and again from the first story from Luke chapter 2 the shepherds were the first people to see the newborn Jesus. Wow, that doesn't seem to rate the statue. You know, think a newborn king, shepherds wouldn't be the first there, right? The good shepherds were diligent, dependable, and brave. They even risked their lives to protect the flock. Let's talk about the figurative word of shepherd. Amy, if you take it to the next one, I think the next one shows the protection, you know, the fearless warrior. We kind of think, yeah, yeah, yeah. The word shepherd used in the Bible figuratively, of course, is to indicate a spiritual overseer. We know that from reading. In fact, David is the first one to say in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. 
You'll find reference to that as well in Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, John, Ephesians, 1 Peter. We still use the term pastor because it literally means a shepherd. Now Jesus, again, is spoken as the good shepherd. John 10, you find that term, the good shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, 4, you hear the chief shepherd. The great shepherd, if you go to Hebrews 13, 20. And the good shepherd, or the one shepherd, in John 10, 16. Because you see, in Jesus' day, shepherding was still a vital occupation. And Jesus referred himself as the fine shepherd and often used, often used the stories and the qualities of a good shepherd to teach very important lessons to those who were listening. Jesus, the great shepherd, would have to leave this world. And before leaving, though, he gathered with his followers, his disciples. And I know in his thought process, he thought, you know, I've got to really really get their attention on what their mission is, what they're supposed to do for me when I'm gone. And one last time, maybe, you've got to do it again. So if you turn in your Bibles to John 21, it's in the New Testament, turn to John 21, we're going to see Jesus here meeting with his disciples for this third time since his resurrection. He's on the shore of Galilee. This is after the disciples had just gone out to go fishing and they brought back the full net and they fixed the food there on the beach and Jesus had fixed it for them. And so they're sitting around now and Jesus is meeting with them and he confronts Peter with the challenge of caring for God's people, his people, whoever they would be, again as a shepherd. So let's read this together, verses 15 through 17. So when they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this is where I kind of tie this in with the Christmas time of things. Here's something to really consider. Now you know that in the Bible you'll find that the sheep owner was usually the one who tended the flock himself because of the value of the sheep to him. If he wasn't able to do it, he would often delegate that work to his children. You'll find that in Genesis and you'll also find that in 1 Samuel, illustrations of that. And if not children, at least relatives, people, people who would actually have a interest, a personal interest in that herd of sheep. If you were to hire somebody that didn't have any interest in the sheep and something came on them and scared them really bad and they were scared for their own personal safety, not just the sheep's, who are they going to take care of? Are they going to take care of the sheep or are they going to save themselves? Most likely for, they're going to go for themselves, aren't they? Because they have no interest really in the sheep. They're just doing a job. So as I started thinking about that, they would have the better care. And so Jesus is using this 
story of the shepherd one last time for impact. True shepherding, it's important to God. It's important for us to consider. If you turn to 1 Peter 5, now here's one Peter's writing himself, and it's a shockeroo to me that he's actually using the illustration of shepherding. Now, he's already remembers, probably has flashbacks of that time at the beach with Jesus. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. Let's read this together. It's a challenge to the church leaders, but I feel like today in our lives, it's a challenge to anybody that belongs in the flock of God. And let's read this together, verses 1 to 4. The elders who are among you I exhort. I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not by dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples, examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Examples. You know, it's a little wonder then that Jesus and his disciples used that shepherd as a model for Christians and overseers. It's our responsibility as pastors here. But it's our responsibility as children of God to be shepherds as well. Remember, I started our study today by reading Luke 2, verses 4 through 15. But here's where this gets personal again. You know, they get there. We're going to read this 15 together. And we're also going to add in verses 16 through 18. So if you want to turn to those with me in Luke, second chapter, we're going to start at verse 15. And let's see what the shepherds do after with all this new information they have. 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, eager, eager for a Messiah. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. I will tell you the shepherds were not your public speakers of the day. They were not your public speakers. But yet they were so overwhelmed with the very presence of God in their lives and in that town that night that for days they continued to tell people about it. They became the witnesses for God. They became the witnesses for Jesus to spread who this baby was. And people marveled. Maybe they marveled because they didn't even know shepherds could talk. I don't know. But they marveled at how they spread this gospel. You see, God's going to equip each one of us. This is how I always like to do this, because many of us tremble the thought of any kind of leadership. Any type of upfront, any type of confrontational thing. We're scared sometimes of it. But we, have no, we don't need to fear anything because God equips us with the gear that we're going to need to be his shepherds. He's going to equip you. Now, you have to open yourself up to his equipping, but he will equip us. We don't need to fear how we're going to lead those people around us to the flock. 
And how we shepherd, again, is going to vary. It's going to be totally different for some. But we are all keepers of the flock. We are all witnesses to the world. We are to reflect this true shepherd in our Christian experience, in our Christian walk. Shepherds to lead. It's interesting to me that God used the shepherds again in the fields to be his first witness. His first witnesses of Jesus and his birth. Then Jesus finishes his challenge to his disciples, his shepherds, to be the witness of him to the world. He may have challenged Peter personally to feed the sheep, but guess who he's talking to? Jesus is talking to his children today. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Shepherds would witness and start the start of the ministry of Jesus, and shepherds, folks, are going to complete the total Jesus experience. From that birth to the salvation of his people. This last slide I like. Jesus is leading the herd. That flock is just going right there behind him. Others need to be joined, though, don't they? Others need to join the flock. God challenges us, each one of us, to love and direct those around us to Jesus. As shepherds in our area, loving, guiding, caring for the flock until his return. Our mission is to make Jesus widely known. Excited about it like these shepherds, right? He's going to equip us. He's going to make us the shepherds we need to be if we let him lead. Loving others, thus bringing tidings of comfort and joy.